Happy July, dear subscribers. This is Maryam Kavashka, presenting you the July episode of ITS podcast, episode number fifty-nine. I hope everyone is safe and sound. Some of us have started our offices. Some still work from home. Anyhow, our podcast will bring you some new details, information, and new insights from around the world about our field of work. I hope you enjoy it. We start our episode with Barish. He will inform us about the latest news and happenings in the field of ITS. Haluk has a book to discuss with you. For this episode, Dr. Julia Mikachi from TU Delft has accepted our invitation to be our special guest. In this interview, he will talk about his research, his final findings, and his overall opinion about automated cars. He is a philosopher. His views are very interesting for our friends from the field of technology. So, let's start this episode with news mini section. Go ahead, Barish. Hello, dear listeners. This is Barish Chuan presenting following news in the field of ideas for the Ideas Podcast episode fifty-nine. In this episode, we bring you some of the latest news on autonomous vehicle technology and business agreements. Amazon to acquire self-driving company Zooks. Amazon announced that the company will buy autonomous vehicle startup Zooks. The startup, founded in 2014, designs self-driving technology for ride-hailing services. The current management of the Zooks will continue to lead the startup as a standalone business. Exact details of the deal is not disclosed. However, Amazon will acquire the startup for over 1.2 billion dollars, according to the Financial Times. BMW and Mercedes put automated driving on hold. The collaboration between BMW and Daimler came to an end, as Daimler announced in a statement that cooperation is put on hold after a joint decision by both sides. Both companies will continue on their own development path. However, the cooperation may be resumed at a later date. In view of the expense involved in creating a shared technology platform, as well as current business and economic conditions, the timing is not right for successful implementation of the cooperation, Daimler said in their statement. Waymo partners with Volvo Car Group Waymo is officially the exclusive global level 4 partner for Volvo Car Group, including its affiliates Polestar and Link Co. With this partnership, Waymo will integrate Waymo Driver into an electric vehicle platform for ride-hailing services. Fully autonomous vehicles have the potential to improve road safety to previously unseen levels and to revolutionize the way people live, work and travel, said Henrik Green, Chief Technology Officer at Volvo Car Group. Waymo also has existing agreements with three other car makers, namely Nissan Renault, Fiat Chrysler and Jaguar Land Rover. Momenta aims to operate fully automated robotaxis in 2024. The Chinese startup Momenta plans to operate its entire fleet without safety drivers in 2024. The company will take advantage of 5G infrastructure and have remote staff who will be monitoring around 10 cars each in order to maintain safety with lower costs. The robot taxi service will be a joint partnership with automakers, semiconductor companies and local governments. As part of this partnership, Momenta provides car makers with autonomous vehicle software in exchange of driving data, which is crucial for algorithm development. Daimler is a major investor of Momenta, and Toyota obtains self-driving car software from the startup. Deepfake technology for driverless vehicles UK-based Oxbodica developed a solution that generates thousands of realistic images to help self-driving systems. Deepfake technology uses deep learning algorithms to generate fake photorealistic images. The company believes that the technology will make the vehicles smarter and safer by helping to expose them to near-infinite variations of the same situation without real-world testing. The technology can reverse a road signage, replace an object with another, or change the lightning of an image. The self-driving systems can learn from the generated images. Paul Neiman, co-founder and CTO at Oxpotica, said, Using deepfakes is an incredible opportunity for us to increase the speed and efficiency of safely bringing autonomy to any vehicle in any environment. Thank you for listening to the mini-news section of the episode 59. We will continue to bring you more news of breakthrough advances in our field in the upcoming episodes. Thank you, Barish. 
This episode book is titled as Guide to Automotive Connectivity and Cybersecurity Trends, Technologies, Innovations and Applications. You might be aware that with development of automotive connectivity, the concern about cybersecurity is increased. Dietmar Muller and Roald Haas are the authors of this book. Let's listen to Haluk and find out what is this review. Please, Haluk. This is the book review section for ITS podcast. Read by Dr. Haluk Eren, Fırat University, Elazığ, Turkey. The book title is Guide to Automotive Connectivity and Cybersecurity, Trends, Technologies, Innovations and Applications, and consists of 645 pages. Published by Springer in 2019. Written by Dietmar Müller and Roland Haas. A number of factors could push the automotive industry into new configurations toward futuristic concepts. Smart mobility is applicable and usable for everyone, regardless of location, region, periods of use, duration, individual ability and budget. Today's automotive market contains many assistive technology for connected cars, such as cyber-physical systems, IoT, car-to-go, car-sharing, car-hailing, ride-sharing, connected parking, and ADAS, which are progressive stages towards driverless car technology. This comprehensive text presents an in-depth review of the state-of-the-art of automotive connectivity and cybersecurity. With regard to trends, technologies, innovations, and applications, the book is divided into 12 chapters, which can be read independently or consecutively. Chapter 1 gives a brief overview of the specific topics covered in the book. Chapter 2 elaborates the global production and sales of the automotive industry and reports on the industry's megatrends, such as tighter emission controls and the rise of electric vehicles, car ownership versus mobility, connectivity, advanced driving assistance systems, and autonomous driving. Chapter 3 focuses on the automotive development process, specifically the complexity involved in developing new vehicle models, the modularization approach and platforms in the automotive industry. Chapter 4 mentions about automotive electric and electronic systems, their architectures and bus system requirements, the increasing role of software content and Product complexity requires more adequate development tools. Chapter 5 provides a detailed treatment of the key technologies for the feature-connected cars. Cyber-physical systems integrate computing and networking technologies and IoT. It also refers to telematic and infotainment concepts platforms and architectures for connected cars in the cloud and autonomous vehicles. Chapter 6 introduces cybersecurity as a body of technologies, processes and practices designed to protect computers, data, networks and programs against intrusion, damage or unauthorized access by cyber attacks. It focuses on the scale and complexity of vehicles' cyber and physical components and their vulnerability to a variety of security challenges, intrusions, threats and malicious cyber attacks. Chapter 7 introduces mobile apps for connected cars and the current trends in car IT and agile software development. Chapter 8 discusses the car sharing concept and its different variants. The impact of electric vehicles in car sharing applications and its proper security for cyber attacks are discussed. Chapter 9 presents car hailing and ride sharing services 
for reducing personal car usage in a city, thereby reducing the need of parking spaces, traffic jams and pollution. The problem of safety and initiatives to increase ride-sharing safety and prevent crime, both for customers and for drivers, is described in detail. Chapter 10 deals with trendy applications of connected cars, connected parking, their challenges and opportunities. The major cyber threats and potential solutions are discussed. Chapter 11 presents examples of commercial ADAS and autonomous driving, higher-level ADAS software functions, including image processing and object tracking algorithms using MATLAB. The chapter concludes with a discussion of cybersecurity and functional safety. Chapter 12 summarizes feature trends, technologies, innovations, and applications. Besides the methodological and technical content, all of the chapters in the book contain chapter-specific, comprehensive questions to help readers determine if they have gained the required knowledge, identify possible knowledge gaps, and conquer those gaps. Moreover, all chapters include references and suggestions for further reading. The insights offered by this practical guide will be of great value to graduate students, academic researchers and professionals in industry, seeking to learn about the advanced methodologies in automotive connectivity and cybersecurity. Thank you, Haluk. If you are ready, let's start listening to my talk with Dr. Giulio Meccacci. Grab your beverage of choice and enjoy his talk. Giulio Meccacci is a philosopher of technology and cognitive science. He obtained his PhD degree at the Donder Institute for Brain, Cognition and Behavior in Philosophy of Neurotechnology in 2017 from the Rotbond University, Nijmegen. Holland, and his Master of Arts in Philosophy of Mind, University of Siena. He is currently a researcher in Ethics of Technology at TU Delft and teaches Ethics and Philosophy of Artificial Intelligence as well as Neurophilosophy at Redbond University, Nijmegen. Most of his research is dedicated to the project Meaningful Human Control over Autonomous Driving Systems. His role in this project is to provide ethical and philosophical insights on the notion of meaningful human control applied to automated driving systems. He is researching a notion of human control that could be meaningfully applied to the interaction between controllers and systems with different degrees of automation. By clarifying how a rational human agent can be kept meaningfully in control of a vehicle, he aims at minimizing accountability gaps in case of traffic accidents. Besides meaningful human control, he is also interested in philosophy of neurotechnology and neuroscience. In particular, he is fascinated by how scientific knowledge about the brain and the increasing capacity to technologically intervene on it influence our understanding of identi identity and self, freedom of will and mental privacy. Welcome to our podcast, Dr. Mekachi. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am actually very, very happy to be here. I am a uh, huge fan of this group, uh, this this publishing, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy. I'm glad that you invited me. Thanks. Thank you so much. So uh, I give a short introduction about you and your work. Uh, did I miss something? Would you like to add something to this? I actually have a good news. <laughs> so starting this September, I will be working at the Donders Institute for Brain Cognition and Behavior in Nijmegen as a new assistant professor in ethics of AI. So this is, uh, is going to be an exciting opportunity to further the work that I've been doing these, these past years at TU Delft with, well, different knowledge base, different environment, more like cognitively oriented, but, but, but still uh, very involved in, in what I've been doing.
Yeah, thank that's you. very nice. Yes, yes, that is, that's a good news. Uh, so your field is remarkably interesting for many researchers that are busy in the field of technology. We all know how it is important to know other aspects of automation and control. From your point of view, as an expert in this field, what is the necessity to study the philosophy and ethics aspect of driverless cars? So, um, among the rest, I think there's there's at least two important reasons. So one one is a general one, because this will uh, this this will be a big step, uh, bringing big changes to our lifestyle, to the environment that we live in. So the potential societal implications uh, of of this technological innovation are huge, and they also should be of course constantly evaluated. And that's why sort of this is important. This act, ethical activity is important. They should constantly be evaluated, taking into consideration all of the many stakeholders that might be influenced. Their values, including ethical values, uh, primarily maybe ethical values, and their interests. So, so it's important to understand that if in the process of innovation, we fail to involve all the relevant stakeholders, or, or maybe we fail to consider certain other values. The very process of innovation might be halted, maybe at a later stage of its development, of, a, of the development of a technology, of the deployment of a technology. Mm -hmm. But at, at that point, a lot of work and resources have been already allocated. So that would, would represent sort of a big waste of resources and a missed opportunity. So not just innovation, but in a way like the formula was, uh, responsible innovation. And that's where sort of the, the ethical approach comes in, mm -hmm. uh, in isolating all these, these roles and reasons and, 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 uh, and, and, and different actors in society. But there's another reason, actually, and uh, that's, that concerns Anyway, um, I guess horizontally, uh, all automated systems. Mm -hmm. And that's that they tend to generate what we call these responsibility gaps. So these, these responsibility gaps are situations where we might be unable to deem somebody responsible, not just in a legal sense, but in a genuinely moral sense in the sense of, for instance, blameworthiness. Mm -hmm. And this is in case that something bad happens, right? Mm -hmm. so, so, so what I think we need is, is that we need to find a way to keep people accountable as much as possible. And we need to find a way that does not resort to simply deciding in advance who's going to pay. Mm -hmm. which, is, which is the classic liability mechanism, right? So that's where ethics, properly speaking, comes into play. That's, that's, I think these are like, well, there's many reasons, but these two are, they come, they're on top of my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, uh, gaps in the control of automated vehicles on roads to inform everyone. This is the latest paper by Julio, not published yet due to Q. Uh, what do you mean by gap? This gap occurs when and where? So uh, one of the things is that it's, it's finally actually, uh, <laughs> it's out. So you can find it, uh, it's published. <laughs> one more good news. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, it was some time ago, um, not, not long, but still. But however, we wrote this paper, it's a very recent paper, and it's, it's by all my collaborators at this project of meaningful human control over autonomous driving systems, uh, being Simeon Calvert, the, the leading author. Um, what, what's, what are control gaps? So these control gaps we, we talk about in that paper are those gaps where, for instance, control is transferred from an automated system to a driver that's not ready to engage in controlling tasks. So there are moments in which neither the automated driving system nor the driver can be genuinely, truthfully said to be in control of the vehicle. Mm 
that's just out of anybody's or anything's control. So I think we, we know this problem from, from human factors, for instance. This is, this is very famous, very well studied. But what we discussed in our paper is also how these, these gaps in control relate to gaps in the attribution of responsibility. So how these relate to, to responsibility gaps. So for instance, we discussed um, how a driver sometimes is considered morally and legally responsible just because they're supposed to be in control, because they're monitoring the system, because they've signed their, their papers. But when this is, and they are, these drivers, actually in a very hard position to fulfill. So this means that sometimes this responsibility Okay, might be misplaced on the driver's uh, on driver's shoulders, right? Which are not, so to speak, big enough to to carry this responsibility. There is coming coming to my mind a legal formula that is being used now a lot by me and my colleagues. And and in Latin, it sounds like this: ad impossibilia nemo tenetur, which means roughly that nobody is held to the impossible. So asking from the from drivers sometimes uh, things that they may not be good enough to do, sometimes without them even being aware of this, this is this is something that generates or it's part of what generates these these responsibility gaps, these voids of responsibility. Now this is this is more or less what, what we what we did in this paper. Yeah, so this is gap, uh, as much as I understand, it's between uh, control system and uh, when it's giving the control to the driver. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yes, yes. Meaningful human control as reason responsiveness, the case of dual mode vehicles. Uh, this is the title of your paper published in 2019. In this paper, you have introduced the concept of meaningful human control, or in short, they call it MHC, as a function of the framework of the automated driving system. What do you mean by that? Please start with telling us what is MHC in the first place. So MHC, or uh, of course, meaningful human control, is it's a normative normative theory of control. What does it mean? What does normative mean? It means that it's a theory that gives um, a set, a bunch of ethical, philosophical, cognitive, legal, and so on requirements for a person or persons to be deemed in control of a certain system and also for a system to be deemed under control of one or more of these human agents, human controllers. So there have been many of these theories produced in the, in the past few years. Uh, the whole discussion and the idea of this meaningful human control started with the, in, within the debate about uh, autonomous weapon systems. And then what we've, we've done is also sort of extending this to, to the field of automated driving systems. But these theories, all of them, they carved out different sets of, of requirements. But most, or all of them maybe, they're meant to define, so the, 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 sort of their, their common aim is to define a richer, more meaningful notion of control that could prevent us from, let's say, pointing the finger towards somebody simply because they're sitting in front of the buttons, so to speak, it's in front in, in, the, in the, 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 the buttons room. So simply being in the loop of automated activities, simply a human, a human simply being in this loop, that doesn't grant safe operability and doesn't even grant a just attribution of responsibility. That's, that's why this, this dissatisfaction uh, brought to the, the creation of these several alternative theories, like more richer theories of control, where more conditions were, uh, were considered. 
So the theory of meaningful human control that we've been working with in these past years with my group was originally devised in a 2018 seminal work by Filippo Santoni de Sio and, and um, Jeroen van den Hoven. That was, yeah, 2018. And this, is, this consists of a couple of major conditions. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go into those conditions, but they're called tracking and tracing. What this theory does is that it, it describes and it prescribes this ideal relation between a competent controller, so what, what does it mean to be competent, what do you need to be a competent controller, and the competently designed system that is to be controlled, right? But the thing is that this relation between the, the, the agent, the controller, and the controlled system is an abstract, it's, it's more abstract one. And it's based on very sort of roughly speaking on this seamless responsiveness. This also, we, we call it attunement between the goals. You see, you see what I mean when I say uh, it's more abstract, right? Than, than pushing buttons. Mm -hmm. The goals, the intentions, of a system and the goals of its controller. Mm -hmm. So I'll do a metaphor. It's not mine, but, but it exemplifies really well because this seems like, mm, uh, it's very confusing. And it's, it's actually one of the simplest ways to put it, but there's an example that's simpler. Mm -hmm. well, I'm gonna use this metaphor here. Uh, to my memory, it was devised by, uh, I think it was Frank Flemish when he was working at NASA. It was called the H metaphor, the, the horse metaphor. So, because automated systems, right, are becoming more and more similar to these intelligent creatures uh, with their own, in a way, their own goals, and bear with me, uh, in a way, their own goals, in a way, their own character. That's, that's, that's intelligence. That's artificial intelligence. Even narrow artificial intelligence still it's, it, it's implied by the fact that they're intelligent. Okay. But what does it mean, though, to be in control? Think about this. To be in control of a horse when we ride this horse. Right? Can, you, can you be deemed in control? And say, oh, I am in control of, my, of the horse I'm riding. Yes. Uh, but it doesn't mean, well, when I say so, I don't mean that I'm pushing the right buttons or sort of pulling the right levers. Right? So most times or I would say never, I am not directly operating the horse as if it were a system, right? But rather, what I'm saying, what, what it means is that the horse, when I'm controlled, the horse seems to reliably, consistently do what I wish they would do. So, so the horse shares my same goals, my same intentions of, I don't know, of, of going in a certain direction, of stopping, of, of accelerating. Also, additionally, being a competent horse person means, and these are, these are more things that, that the Meaningful Human Control Theory introduces, uh, means knowing the technique means being able to execute the technique. It means also being well aware of, of our responsibilities while we ride, of the responsibilities of the things we do, of, of the responsibilities of what, what the horse will do while under our control. So this full moral awareness of, of what, what we're doing. This is in a nutshell meaningful human control. Now you just have to sort of jump, <laughs> make, make the, the extra step from horses to automated vehicles. And it makes it more complicated, but that's the general idea. That's the, the gist that I would like to sort of communicate. Thank you. That, that was that, uh, that metaphor example that you brought. It was very interesting. Thank you so much. But uh, about this MHC, how can you expand the definition of uh, MHC to that zero to five different levels of automation? Can you explain that also? So, yes. Um, 
That's a good question because it sort of highlights one of the properties of meaningful human control that's pretty interesting. So meaningful human control is actually a notion that can precisely, that is conceived to accommodate those situations where operational control, right? So operating directly, operating systems, just car, like accelerating, steering the wheel and so on. So those situations where this operational control seems lost by definition, and that would be, for instance, in levels four and five of, of extremely high full automation, right? The driver, in a way, is, is removed from their duties, or part, part of their duties. But this is, this, this is possible because, because the theory introduces a number of other different criteria to deem somebody in control when, when there's no operational control. Right? That's, that's the thing. So in the socio-technical system, it's a complex system made of tech, technology and people and all sorts of agents, as many agents might be deemed to different extents in control, right? ranging from um, traffic designers. They, they determine the behavior of this this traffic system, policymakers through the regulations, right? car manufacturers, of course. I mean, uh, that's practically self-evident how they influence the final outcome and the behavior of, of self-driving cars, of self-driving automated vehicles, highly automated vehicles in traffic. So one of the curious implications of meaningful human control is this um, <laughs> almost paradoxical suggestion that fully autonomous systems might be even better under human control, under meaningful human control, than for instance, a level two driving system. Yeah. Where as we have seen, transition of control amongst other, other issues, it can create sometimes unfillable control gaps. Right, so so this this the, the intuition behind this is that there can be more control together with more autonomy instead of instead of uh, being those two things even conceptually incompatible. Right, so this is this is this is the idea. So it definitely adopts, and it's made to adopt to all sorts of to apply, not adopt apply to all different levels of, of automation and and well what it does is as said it will help identifying those that can somehow according to this theory of control to a more meaningful theory of control the controllers but yeah i think yeah. this is uh, deep enough <laughs> yeah thank you so much for this explanation but um, according to you, uh, with all this research that you have done so far on driverless cars and everything, uh, what are the main challenges on the way of the driverless cars? So from, from, a, from a technical perspective, let's, let's start from the technical perspective. Technical perspective, I am I'm sort of optimist with regard to the growing quality of the automated systems and capacities of, of artificial intelligence. Uh, but in that sense, I have, of course, one or two concerns with regard to sort of our ability to predict all the possible failure scenarios, mm -hmm. because there's so much of so much unknown uh, in, in AI and lots of problems with opacity. But I think this is my engineering and AI colleagues are more than aware of these uh, limitations. So maybe all in all, I believe the, the main challenges might be mostly ethical and regulatory, actually. And they might uh, interfere with adoption uh, yes. of, of the technology. So until we have, I believe, established clear mechanisms of attribution of legal and moral responsibility, which are very, very important values for society, then Technological innovation is either, okay, either on the one hand slowed down, okay, which which would be, after all, the the lesser evil, or it is reckless, 
which would be the greater evil, which would be the bigger problem. Because what we don't want, what we definitely don't want, is that this process of technological innovation isn't concerted with the largest possible pool of stakeholders. And we don't want that, for instance, our manufacturers take this into their exclusive, quite opaque hands. That's, that's what I believe we should fear the most, mm -hmm. so to speak. Yes, thank you so much. Yes, and, and I ask this question mainly uh, from your point of view. Uh, this is one of the challenges, uh, all these things that you mentioned. Uh, very recently, you had a talk about ethical and philosophical insights on the notion of uh, MHC or meaningful human control applied to automated driving systems. You introduced a model. Uh, can you share with, with us your views, please? Yes, there, um, the model that I introduced is it's, it's a little complex, but to be, I'll try to explain it as, as simple as I can. So in my model, I fundamentally described this criterion to understand how the, the different intentions, the goals, the interests of the different agents in, in the system might relate to a certain behavior of any considered automated system. Because okay? this is for meaningful human control, I, I'll remind the audience, uh, it, it's important that to found this relation between controllers and the control system in this attunement, in this, in this, uh, this um, how could you say, uh, commonality of intents. So again, the idea in meaningful human control is that control can be assessed and obtained by fulfilling these more abstract, sometimes philosophical conditions, that more, most times philosophical conditions. So what we need here is it's something, something tangible, a little bit more tangible, it's not, not really tangible, but more tangible. It's a unit of measure, so to speak, to make order among the many different agents that are potentially involved in controlling a system. And this was, we called it proximity. Okay. But this proximity is, is what, what, what can it do? It's useful when we design a system, for instance, to establish um, who should the system respond to and in which cases. And also when we assess control so that we have a better idea of the involvement of each of the possible stakeholders in determining some event. So, so this, there's, it's this, the model looks like this big little big arrow that goes from, from facts that are very close to whatever you want to assess, uh, let's say an accident, uh, and actions that very directly determined an outcome, to actions and agents that very distantly determined, and determined is, is a very complex word, but they influenced, they constrained what, what happened, and then in that, they played a role in what happened, even distantly. That for, could be, for instance, uh, policymakers, traffic regulators, and so on and so forth. So the, all this is meant, mm, maybe not mainly, but one of the big things that it should do, in theory, is to improve mechanisms of accountability. So you have this big, big table in front of you with all the stakeholders, with all the with all the agents that, that and their roles and how much they influenced what the, the, the events that you're, that you're analyzing. Uh, and then you can, you can, you, you see better, you have more clarity of their, uh, of the structure, the, the relations between uh, each other and amongst all of them. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I noticed that uh, in your works, uh, uh, there is always a reserved place for driver and his role and his action. 
what if just what if we get rid of the driver completely in a perfect scenario when passengers can rotate their seats and have a talk or a drink and the vehicle will take the whole control do you have any place in your research and thoughts for this situation especially the model that you presented in your very interesting and engaging talk in your recent webinar so um yeah but as, as i mentioned before drivers are not necessarily the best or the most meaningful controllers of an automated system. Uh, so by system, again, I don't mean, of course, just the vehicle itself, but the whole socio-technical system in which the vehicle is produced, it's regulated and used. Uh, so in the model that I presented, the distal agents, like uh, I believe it showed uh, traffic and vehicle designers or, or uh, policy makers, they are considered just next to more proximal agents. For instance, the driver in the car. But, but in absence of a driver, those other agents might satisfy to different extents, okay? but the conditions for meaningful human control. And therefore, if so, um, be deemed as controllers of the system and bear, potentially bear, a certain degree of moral responsibility and legal liability. So, so it is perfectly foreseen by the model that, that the, the closest levels of control the most most proximal that's that's part of the model so i'm using this word proximal but the drivers that are according to this model very proximal agents might just not be there which wouldn't imply however that the system is necessarily out of meaningful human control it's out of operational control from them yes that's that's okay but that's exactly why we reworked this notion of control to to avoid this this mm -hmm. the limitation of of a classic notion of control mm -hmm. yeah uh, thank you so much um in one of your publications uh you have mentioned the idea of reasons tracking right now so i think you talked about it in a few questions before let me quote this from the paper the concept of meaningful human, meaningful human control uh, crucially relies on the idea of reasons tracking. In order to better understand and operationalize this concept, we uh, propose to look at the philosophical analysis of reasons and actions as developed in philosophy in the so-called theory of action. How would you adapt this idea to a technological product such as autonomous vehicle? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, so philosophy of action, there is a whole tradition in philosophy, it's called philosophy of action. And it, that this particular tradition offers a lot of ideas on how our reasons and intentions can determine or influence, okay, or justify our own behavior. Example example because this is due uh when we decide for instance to go to the mall uh let's say do we do that because it is nice to buy a little gift to our kids for instance or or maybe we're because we want to eat pizza or we want to meet friends we, we have good time or do we do that because of chain of events in our brain just happened to activate certain muscles. It is both sort of valid ways to explain it. But how can the former in, in this physical world, in which sense do they explain, influence, constrain, determine what we do? In which sense can this be meaningfully said can you meaningfully say which sense you can meaningfully say i do this for this reason because you could you could certainly say 
well, well, there's my brain. It's just firing uh, plenty of neurons, and, and I go with the flow. But we still do explain our actions, and we think our actions, in some meaningful sense, they're, they're caused by these reasons. We mm -hmm. do these actions for these reasons. So the intuitions in this field can be applied to understand in which sense our interests, goals, and intentions as stakeholders, again, to go back to driving automation and users of driving automation can influence or determine the traffic behavior because this is a controlling relation. It's a meaningful controlling relation. That's why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Julio. Uh, once uh, we had a discussion with all uh, my colleagues and uh, the next question, you know, it was uh, between all of us. So we decided to uh, ask you, should driverless vehicles all be programmed to behave the same way? In a sense, should companies be able to create their own algorithms for how to respond in certain situations, considering the uh, anthropological, geographical, cultural, and even economical differences? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dodge a little bit this question because it, uh -huh. will, it will seem like I'm dodging a little bit this question, and maybe it is because I don't have a clear answer to this, but, uh, because, because it's very contextual. Uh, what I think, though, is that the key factor what we should care about here is the transparency of the algorithms that are used. Okay, so what we should do is we, we should push towards solutions. Okay, that can grant um, standardization agencies to look into systems, perhaps. Okay preserving where possible the competitive interests of manufacturers because of course we know that 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 this is this is one of the big problems in in opening up uh to to the public but some smart design solution that could grant as much transparency as possible at least to different standardization agencies and provided this transparency or well the, the better, the greater transparency that we can obtain. The rest is, is, is again, it's a normative problem that has very different contextual answers, right? Depending on different cultures and political decisions. And, and, and there's, well, democracy hopefully will, will do part of the game, uh, but it's contextual. So that, that's what, I'm, what I feel like saying <laughs> for yes, now. Yes, I understand, yes. Uh, so, in your eyes, I know that uh, you noted uh, a few minutes ago also, if a driverless vehicle is involved in a serious collision, who should be held liable? This is, this is somewhat similar, but I don't, I don't, again, I don't think there is one fits all answer to this question. Mm -hmm. So, the reason, though, why we study meaningful human control, mm -hmm. it's, it's precisely to find a way to nuance and understand these different roles and different impacts of all the agents and stakeholders in determining certain behavior of the system. Right? So the answer is, again, really contextual, but in general, I would say good targets. This, this, is, this is something and I'm saying, actually. Uh, good targets for legal liability might be those who can be deemed more meaningfully in control of the system. So, so meaningful human control, in a way, it's um, it's a means to an end, which is more responsibility, but also legal liability, because those who can be deemed more meaningfully in control means they also are more justifiable in carrying more uh, more responsibility and 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 greater legal liability. That's that's uh. And that's my answer. That's my answer to this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, should uh, driverless vehicles be programmed to always protect the occupants of the vehicle? Or should they be programmed to serve the greater good? What does greater good mean in this case? Does that mean minimizing death? Should a trolley problem be considered? These are the questions that always uh, troubles us when we are thinking about some control system for our car. 
Yeah, absolutely. I understand that. But however, <laughs> I am not a huge fan, I would say, of the trolley problem <laughs> in the sense in the sense that <laughs> in the sense that uh, I think it has to be handled uh, with care or or it risks maybe distracting us from more, let's say, tangible problems. It's, it's good. It's, it's good. And it's an important philosophical exercise. Uh, exercise. It's designed to stress out some of our ethical intuitions, uh, and it does it very well. But we also have to consider taking a little bit more constructive, proactive approach because because my feeling is that there's so much talking about the trolley problem that has practically sort of it's it's a dilemma. Uh, so it has practically no solution. It's designed to, to offer no chance, <laughs> no third way, no third option. And um, but so one of the reasons, if not the main reason, to study meaningful human control, so control, right, is exactly to avoid as much as possible having to take these design decisions preemptively, right? Uh, you might be familiar, I'm sure, with, with Patrick Lynn saying that these decisions, of course, in these trolley scenarios might mean, and I would, I would add they do mean, designing to kill. But now don't, don't get it mistaken. Uh, I'm not saying these decisions won't be needed, very hard, extremely hard decisions. Maybe we'll, we'll I, I have no idea what we're going to do to get to a good decision again. But it will be probably be needed, at least to some extent. Okay. But what we don't want, and that's 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 the, the the my warning. What we don't want is that those those decisions are decisions that are taken either from a small, potentially unaccountable part of the stakeholders. See here, uh, the 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 vehicle manufacturers. Mm -hmm or decisions that are not well enough informed on their ethical and societal implications and concerted with all the relevant stakeholders, then I guess we will come up with some solution, but it's important that we, the way we come up with these decisions, the decisions themselves, they're really hard, unfortunately, um, the, uh, the, the those situations will be very unlikely. Let's say um, yeah. there there usually is a third option in real life. Not always. It's good to think about it. It's good to think about it. Yes, there's a third option. <laughs> yes, uh, our colleagues from technology <coughs> industry promise that driverless cars will be ready to drive on our roads by 2020. Yes. We were hit by some calamities this year. However, the future of driverless cars is not very far from sight. Technologically, I mean. What is your take on this? As we discussed, these cars will be part of human world and uh, they have to get in a harmony, more or less. When? When do you think that this technology is available and safe to be used? It's it's nice that I always get this question in terms of uh, super intelligence. Um, so, like, what wh what do you think we will reach? General AI and so forth. You know, like society is very worried now about mm -hmm. this uh, about being eradicated by by this evil AI genius. Uh, so I get a lot of this, uh, but driverless, driverless technology is quote unquote an easier target since it's it's a, it's of course it's a narrower form of intelligence and for that is it's even more interesting to talk about this uh, so that means technically speaking that i believe but this again it's it's um it's, it's a very it's a guess in a way because i'm also aware of there's a whole lot of limitations, but I believe a rather safe technology for full driving automation might be available. I want to say, I want to bet within this decade. Oh, okay. Uh, whether it will be safe to be used, I'm not saying deployed, huh? 
completely mm-hmm. adopt. I'm, I'm, I'm saying available technology mm-hmm. that can, with <laughs> whatever it is, sufficient levels of safety, can drive around and can do these things, can coordinate. Whether it'll be safe to be used, again, of course, it depends on how we deal with the unknown in terms of safety assessment. But, but all in all, I feel like safety, and now I'm going to, somebody will, will shoot at me. I feel like safety might not be the main obstacle to adoption. But rather, what I think could be the main obstacle might be how we decide to deal again ethically and legally with those hopefully, hopefully rare cases in which something goes wrong. Because that's what we're still really missing. It's, it's not really the technology that we're missing the most. Uh, so we've had instruments, legal instruments, moral instruments, in place for centuries to deal with uh, humans making mistakes, right? But, but cars making mistakes, and, and I want to underline this and want to stress this, making mistakes, not cars being broken, because th- there's a red line here that, that's it's becoming very confused with, with a lot of intelligence. So cars making mistakes are still a largely new problem for our society and our legal systems. And this, this might, might very negatively affect, or well, might slow down innovation and might, uh, well, it might be one of the biggest obstacles in, in, the, in the next, uh, next, next few years. Even with with the availability of the technology, yes, yes, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, thank you, Julio. Uh, whatever <clears throat> you have done so far is fascinating. What is your next step? Will you continue the same line? I'm sure lots have been left to do, um, or you have some other topics in mind. So, well, nice question. Thanks. Um, my my plan is from September onwards, uh, start investigating the role of the sense of agency in humans dealing with automated systems. Mm-hmm. So the, the sense of agency, okay, the sense of, of, of being the one that does something, let's, mm-hmm. let's define it like this, is a construct we know from, from the cognitive science. And uh, when we deal with automated systems, um, Sometimes what happens is that we believe that we have decided things. I've done this, but we actually never did. Sometimes, some other times, we believe that we have never decided to do something, that we have nothing to do about something, that we actually did decide, that we actually did do. Okay? So, so these confusions of agency that are partially known in brain-computer interfaces, which is, they represent a very important factor to consider when attributing moral and legal responsibility to ourselves, because we are in the delusion, right? And to others also. So as of today, there's very, very little research in this. And, um, well, the Donders Institute, Will um, will support my research as the knowledge base to to deal with all these cognitively related issues and also their philosophical consequences. So so it will be interesting to explore what kind of role this this can can play this this cognitive effect can play uh, into a normative theory of responsibility and control. Of course, so that's that's my plan for the next few years. Thank you. That, that's a that's a good plan. Uh, and long one, of course. And uh, thank you uh, very much, uh, Julia, for accepting our invitation. I'm sure our listeners will have a lot to think about now. And uh, as uh, my last question, would you like to add something to whatever we discussed right now? No, I think I don't want to because I've been talking... A, lo- a whole lot, <laughs> and I think I think your your audience will be will be a happy quote unquote at this point. So no, thank you. You got I'm time. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you so much. I did thank really you, enjoy. thank you, Julia. Uh, I hope uh, we we will have you again in our podcast as a guest or something else whenever you come up with something that you want to share with us. Thank you, Julia, so much for being with us. Thanks, thanks. It's it's been great. Thanks so much. Thank you, dear subscribers. I hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. Don't forget to share and subscribe and check out our other media for other news. This podcast is sponsored by Itopedi Intelligent Transportation System Society. This was Dr. Mariam Kavishkar from Itopedi ITS Society.